see if I can get it. Okay, well, um, so I want to thank uh, Brady Riggs, our top 100 um, Hall of Fame teacher from Los Angeles, Southern California, for joining us. Um, this is a, a take two, uh, as um, your host here uh, kind of uh, messed up the technological aspect of this the first time. But um, Brady, thank you again for, for making time. Um, and um, a lot of stuff going on in the world of golf. Um, uh, thankfully, we have the world of golf in this crazy pandemic world um, that I know you and I both enjoyed watching it. Um, and we were talking, and I want to go back to talking about the PGA a little bit, but I, I've got to sort of get more current with what happened yesterday. Um, I know you were, I think, probably out on the course uh, working with folks, uh, and um, I ended up getting glued to the TV because um, Dustin um, goes out, and um, it's funny, you know, I, I look at, I know you do too, the PGA Tour app, and um, so I sort of was doing something yesterday and I took a quick look at it and it, I thought I saw it said he was seven under after five holes. And I said, that, that, that can't be right. And so then I looked at the scorecard for the first five holes and sure enough, three birdies, two eagles, including on the drivable par four, I look at the scorecard uh, and uh, feature on there and I see he hits it four feet. Um, just crazy. And, um, you know, he ends up going 11 under for 11 holes and um, uh, cooled off a little bit. It, it, it's so funny to even say these words, but it seemed like a disappointing 60. Um, Indeed. But uh, he, he's an incredible talent. Um, and he's been, of course, and he was a central figure in the PGA. How do we sort of think about him? You know, he's got 21 tour victories, which is a lot. But I think people, and I'm in this camp, I think, tend to focus on that he's only got one major. He's had so many um, opportunities. I mean, gosh, we could go on and on, you know, the three putt of the 15 feet at um, Chambers Bay and, you know, the 82 at Pebble in the final round a few years earlier, uh, but probably five or six we could each name pretty quickly. He seems so uber-talented. Um, what do we make of sort of make of DJ as a whole at this point in his career? Boy, that's a loaded question, Larry. Um, <laughs> I think he. But one, I know you're well equipped to handle. This is true. Um, you know, look, the body of work's impressive. 21 victories, the number of times the guy's in contention, number one in the world. I mean, he's he, his resume is strong, except for the one metric that I think we all hold to be the the, the one that matters the most, which is major champion. You know, he's got one major championship. That's it. And, you know, does that mean Andy North is, was a, had a better career? No. But it, it also kind of speaks to what the hole in his game is. You know, and, like, if you think of – I think of Jack and Tiger personally, and I don't know – I didn't, wasn't lucky enough to watch Hogan play in his prime. But to me, Jack and Tiger are the two smartest players – I have ever seen play. I have never seen two smarter players. Jack always hung. He had his own way, right? He'd hang around and hang around and hang around and play his game. And then he was so good, he was always going to be in the mix. And what, 36 out of 40 times from 1970 to 1979, he finished in the top 10. Some crazy number, right, in the majors. Right, right. But Tiger was, Tiger was brilliant. I mean, his intelligence on the golf course, I, I don't think people give him enough credit for. 
he never beat himself. That guy got a lead and it was over. You know, he would never self-implode. And I think intelligence on the golf course really, really matters in the toughest tournaments. And I think that what happens with DJ sometimes is he has the, the gift of just not having a rear view mirror, right? Like there's nothing in the past that has, has ever affected DJ. They had a really interesting commentary on that last week. DJ, they're talking about he doesn't have any scar tissue, like nothing bugs him. And I, I totally agree. But maybe yeah. in there somewhere, the nuance of playing major championship golf and, and not just only playing your own game. Like you really kind of need to know what's going on around you and how your shots are dictating other people and how not to mess yourself up. And I, I just feel like maybe that's the one area he hasn't been able to get it done. It's a, he's, he's an enigma. You know, he really is. He's 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 quite the character. What are your thoughts on him, Larry? I mean, is well, he no, we I, talked about I this do, a little bit Hall of Famer or I, what? You know, um, it's a toughie. I mean, you know, probably. I mean, if we're going to sort of be comparative, I mean, I think there are people who make the Hall of Fame in golf with less of a resume than DJ has. Um, you know, Freddie Couples, um, you know, everyone loves Freddie, um, you know, one major and um, uh, and even that one, you know, frankly, is a miracle that ball didn't roll down the slope at the 12th hole into the water. But, you know, you know, one major and, you know, I don't think he has 21 victories, um, but um, so maybe on a comparative thing, but there's just my overall thing with DJ is just it's just disappointment. He just seems so incredible incredibly talented and it's like when he's on which is a lot of the time it just seems so easy um and um i just and and yet i just it's just striking to me that he has um only one major that the the thing you talk about in terms of personality is interesting to me he does seem to sort of have everything roll off his back um, he doesn't really seem to remember anything. You know, you think back on the the insanity, I think that's a fair word, of the one U.S. Open he won, where our friends um, at the USGA, you know, uh, initially ruled he didn't move the ball on the, I think it was a fifth green somewhere on the front side, and then they come up to him on, what, 10 or 11, and say, well, we're not so sure you know, and, and I mean, it was insanity, right? We did not know the score of the game. Um, you know, we did not know whether he was going to be assessed a penalty or not. It turns out at the end, after he came in and they looked at the video, he was. I mean, there are few people, few athletes, let alone golfers, who could tolerate that, you know, that mm-hmm. that wouldn't infect their game, right? But he just merrily went along you know, and, um, you know, ends up, I mean, I remember the way he played that 18th hole at Oakmont, no easy hole, you know, just, you know, monstrous drive, iron to like 10 feet, easy birdie. I mean, he was just unflappable. So, I mean, an unflappability is a good thing. Um, yes. So that seems to help him, um, you know, I think, uh, uh, but on the other hand, maybe the flip side of that is what you're saying, you know, kind of some of the course management stuff and everything. And um, I think it's, it's, it's a toughie. Um, I, you know, the other thing that's interesting and this resonates with a couple of the other folks who are playing well today is that, that boat, that position, that left wrist position at the top of his swing. When you see someone like that, I mean, it, it, you know, I guess we give credit to, 
to to Butch, you know, to not messing with that. You know, there's so many times, and and you can speak to this much better than I can, where teachers sort of see swings and say, well, you know, it has to be X or it has to be Y. And, you know, that's something that, you know, I could easily see a teacher, someone like a young DJ coming and, you know, they would mess with that. But, you know, um, good that they didn't. I mean, how do you sort of think about that when you see someone with the raw talent, maybe they're, to use a word I've heard you use, have a little funk in their swing um, like that. How do you know when it's something that it's funk that needs to be corrected versus funk that, you know what, this works. That's got to be a hard thing to figure out. Yeah, I think you learn that over time. You know, I mean, Butch is probably, I I think Butch is the best teacher in the world. I I don't think that anybody wouldn't put him in their top five, right? But I, I think most teachers that really, really know the history and understand that you can't look at a student and say that's a Butch Harmon student. There's no like indicator other than they're maybe number one in the world. That might be a good indicator. Right. Their, their, rec- their record, not their swing. Their record right, speaks right. for themselves, right? So like, I mean, Danielle King and I had a nice run. We had two U.S. amateurs. I got inevitably fired, which is going to happen. I love Danielle to this day. She's one of my favorite people. Um, and then she went on and found a few teachers and didn't really get better. You know, she, I think she was struggling. Right. And then you know, now she's with Butch and she's won two out of last three tournaments. And you could see her really developing into the player that we all knew she could be. Um, right. I, she definitely upgraded from me to get to Butch. Um, but I think uh, the cool you, thing you is, got her two U.S. amateurs. Let's not let's not go over that too fast. I mean, that was pretty impressive. I think that was a lot to do with Danielle and not as much to do with me. I, I'll tell you one thing I was smart enough to do. And this is something you learn is is don't screw them up. You know, that's Butch's mantra, basically. And. And the, the respect I have for Butch is that he just doesn't do that. He doesn't generally screw people up, you know? So if they come in funky, but they're really, really good, and it's something they own, he leaves it alone and works with it. And that just makes way too much sense. Now, it's easier to do that with a player who's on the PGA Tour, who's clearly a talented player who's winning, to work with what they've got. It's a harder call as you're working with a developing player because you right. kind of need to know based on all your experience and looking at this player, is this something I think that, that's sustainable over time from a health standpoint and, and will it get them where they want to go? You know, I mean, we talked a little bit uh, before about Colin Morikawa and how, you know, everybody right. now is all over, well, let's, we got to swing like Morikawa. He's the best player in the world, you know? So we got to go out and do that. And look at his left wrist is, is in a lot of flexion at the top. So is DJ and John Rahm. My goodness, we found the secret. Right. And it wasn't too long ago that Rory was the swing everybody was copying and his left wrist doesn't have excessive flexion. Well, let alone so, your let alone your friend Hogan, right? Going the other yeah. way with uh, yeah. the Yeah, I mean wrist. it just it just shows how how unique great players are, right? Like if you look at the top ten players in the world, you'll see ten pretty darn different moves. And even if you look at Rom and DJ, whose left wrists are very, very flexed at the top tons of bow and more cow let's put in there you'd see three completely different grips at address you know dj's left hand grip is very very strong Morikawa's is pretty neutral you look at rom's it's incredibly weak and then you see three left wrist positions that all look the same well that has a completely different effect on the club face the release pattern the pivot and so it just shows you like you can't single out one element of the swing without really understanding how it interacts with all the other elements. And that's why it's foolish 
and you're on a you're on a basically a fool's errand if you think that copying some other guy who's been doing it his way probably for well over a decade if not you know 15 to 20 years and all of a sudden you're going to start swinging like give me a break that's not going to happen you know good players are better off sticking with what they've got and working with that because they own it and then making the adjustments to the things that that screw them up so the swing is ever evolving right it even evolves within certain players as they get older and you just have to really kind of understand that it's it's hard to it's like you know nailing jello to a wall you know, it's really difficult to do. It, it, it evolves, right? And you, your body changes and, you know, all, all that stuff happens, no doubt. Let's talk for a second. You mentioned Morikawa, um, another Southern California uh, kid. Um, and people, you know, and you always, I'm sure you would feel similarly, you always have to sort of watch, you know, whatever the term is, recency bias. I mean, you mentioned about the swing, but even just the player as a whole. Someone does something, all of a sudden, oh, this is the next big thing, you know, the next great player, you know, and and um, and it's always hard to, um, uh, you know, really make those kind of uh, sweeping decisions, sweeping statements, just because someone's hot. Having said that, it, we have to, I think, acknowledge his start here, even before the PGA, the start to his career on tour has been kind of remarkable in terms of the consistency um, and the um, lack of missed cuts. And um, I mean, at one point, I think he had more victories than missed cuts. I mean, which is a crazy statistic. Um, he um, he really seems, uh, again, you always hesitate to sort of anoint him, but he really, of the younger folks, he really seems to stand out, don't you think? I do. I mean, he's he's he seems very mature on the golf course. You know, I think that's a, a quality he has. He doesn't seem like he's panicking. I, I think, you know, his Achilles heel may be those short putts down the road. I mean, that's something right. obviously he's had some issue with. But his ball striking, I mean, is it's pretty unbelievably good, you know. I mean, his precision harkens back to the day, you know, when that seemed to matter a lot more than just power, you know. And, and you were talking about, you know, flavor of the months or – recency bias, whatever you want to call it. I mean, Bryson is, is driving that bus right now, right? So it's, sure. it's pretty interesting that a guy like Morikawa is going out and he's not the longest guy. He's long, but he's not the longest. But he's, what he does so well, it seems to me, is he manages his game incredibly well. He manages his emotions really, really well. And he trusts what he does, which is a big deal, right? So I think you need a ball flight. I really believe in that. I think it's important to have a, something you can you can say is my default shot. And then whenever you're getting away from that, it can pull you back and center you again. So he's a fader. He knows he's a fader. You know, as being a fader myself and, and coaching players that fade a little bit, you know, you can see that, that you know, if, you, if you're having trouble fading it, you know I'm a little away from my norm. You know, I'm off my standard. So I think Morikawa right. knows his game really, really well. And when he had a shot to to hit the shot that perfectly suited his shot shape at the moment he needed it, he did it. He had the shot shape for that. And he it's sure interesting. Did. It shows how complete his game is, right? The two biggest shots arguably he hit during that day weren't irons. You know, it was a right. short game shot and a driver. You know, so you're just – if you're a one-trick pony, you're not going to be on the PGA Tour winning major championships, that's for sure. 
That's for sure. No, 16 shaped up perfectly for him, and he hit just a, a tremendous shot. So you mentioned Bryson, which we, um, which I wanted to talk about briefly, um, and how can you not? He's really, I think, if you had to say what is, you know, if you had to point to the biggest story, there's a lot of stories out there, but the biggest story in the three months or so since we've had the PGA Tour restart, it's got to be him. Um, the mad scientist type, um, you know, mm -hmm. so many things unique, the one length shaft irons and, you know, the way he's very mechanical and figures things out and, and he very deliberately went about changing his body. Um, and it wasn't like he was short before, but, you know, he was, um, uh, very focused on building up muscle and, um, and, and wow, he comes back after this break and he is 240 pounds, about 40 more than or so than he was before. Um, I think an extra large as opposed to a medium, that's a pretty big shirt uh, uh, size change. And is hitting and is swinging with that driver um, with immense speed, um, with a 5.5 loft, um, and, you know, pretty accurate given how darn far the ball is going. And, um, you know, at times, like in Detroit at the Rocket Mortgage Classic, just seems to just beat the course into submission. Um, I will note, I don't know where he ended up yesterday. I didn't see the final. He was looking like he was going to miss the cut yesterday. So, you know, it's not like it's um, uh, distance is going to prevail in every tournament. And, you know, the more coward distinction is good. But what do you think about sort of what he's done to his body, his swing, and how do we sort of think, is this going to be a trend that people are going to start swinging from their heels and or bulking up? Um, I mean, it's almost like he looks like a long driving contest contestant yeah. when he plays. Yeah, I think he's, he's made himself the biggest story. He's, he's big right he's hitting it big <laughs> right he's got an he's got an enormous sort of ego going you know he's interacting in in sometimes negative ways that we see on telecasts which is you know he's made himself into the story i mean morikawa is the story you know he's played the best golf he won the major you know he just isn't the guy that's going to draw the attention to himself so we don't talk about him as much of course because that's not our culture right. but but right. what's interesting about, you know, Bryson is, and I, I think we talked about this before with, I, I give him, I take my hat off to the guy. He's willing to try something different. And this has been a long range plan in terms of developing his body and changing his mechanics. He's, he's working with real professionals when it comes to his fitness and when it comes to his swing. I mean, Chris Como is, is, a, right. is, a, is a brilliant guy. I have nothing but respect for. And I think he's in good hands. I, I don't think this is something people, I mean, we were talking about this before. I, I watched Charlie Hoffman swing on, on line right. and I was blown away because I didn't recognize it because he was trying to swing bigger and harder. And I did not know who it was until I actually read who it was. So I thought that was fascinating. So it, Bryson is certainly moving the bar a little bit. You know, he's saying that maybe you can think a little outside the box when it comes to power. You can do all kinds of things to, to increase it. And if you keep your precision, it's going to be an advantage, and we all know that. But I don't think it's as easy as just putting on 40 pounds. I mean, if, if that was the right. case, you and I would be really happy because we, we could we, we'd be, we'd be Right. We'd be in great shape. Right. Yeah, you know, we could do that in a second. 
you know, but I think he's, he's, he's definitely, he, he's, un, he's trying to uncover every rock. And I think that's fascinating. The one thing I would say about him technically, which I think is amazing, is that he did something that I've never seen a tour player do before, which is completely change the timing and the cadence of his swing. So if you put his old swing next to his new swing and run them at the exact same time, his old swing is at the top of the backswing when his new swing is at impact. And it's it's just remarkable to watch somebody, a a great player, world-class player, do that. I have never seen that before in my life. Yeah, that is is that is absolutely crazy. Um, and you you alluded to I, I just want to sort of spend a second on it. Um, some of his um, uh, interactions, I'll use that term, with the media um, and stuff. And you know, one of the things that comes along with being as notable as he is is you're going to get scrutiny. Um, you know, uh, he the camera. Is going to, and the microphone is going to get drawn to him more than it is for Colin Morikawa because there's more things Bryson's going to say that people are going to be, you know, interested in in the way our culture works. Um, and um, I think that's something that maybe is a bit of a work in progress for how he deals with that. I mean, you know, he's got all excited over that person following him with the media person. I mean, that's their job, right? Um, and he's had these rules, things, and of course, you know, our friend Brooks Kepka seems to uh, love trolling him on social media. Um, I guess that's just something I think Bryson's going to have to, you know, maybe get a little better with as time goes on. If you want to seek the limelight and draw attention to yourself and act like the smartest kid in the room, then you're going to have a spotlight on you, you know? Right. And when you <laughs> complain about an anthill, or that your ball really isn't out of bounds, or this guy shouldn't have been taking a picture of you acting like a petulant child, then you're going you're gonna to draw a little negative attention to yourself. Suck it up, buttercup. You know, if you want to be in that space, then this is, this is the space you're in. You know, and I respect the guy as a player. I think he, what he's done is really cool with, you know, trying to find another way to be better. But, you know, that other stuff is just, you just got to grow up. I mean, this is, you're in the, yeah. you're in the media spotlight on the PGA tour. You've made yourself the biggest story in the game. You're going to get some scrutiny and some blowback. So he just needs to lighten up. I mean, take a, take a few looks at some other guys that have done it before you and realize they don't, they just don't, they don't play into that. You know, I mean, you're just not going to see right. that. He just, he just needs to kind of mature a little bit. I'm sure he will. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm sure he will too. So what you, you mentioned the Charlie Hoffman thing. I just want to go back to that for a sec because it's interesting. I know you've talked about this before. I just wanted to go back to this point about pros having gears um, in their swing because, you know, when you look at Bryson, I mean, he is swinging as hard as he can. But we know players, I mean, you actually, you know, one of your many, you know, top students is Brandon Hagee, who, you know, hits it a mile. And I, I just, one of the things I so marvel at his swing is it doesn't look like he's, you know, swinging that hard and the ball just goes a mile. Maybe the best example of that is Tony Finau, who looks like he's taking a three-quarter wedge swing and the ball's going a mile. And of course, you know, we've seen the postings online where Tony actually takes the full swing. I still don't think as hard as Bryson, but, you know, a fuller swing and the ball's going you know, with 200 mile plus ball speed. I mean, it is amazing, right? These guys um, uh, that can hit it almost like as far as Bryson, but not with the effort. And when they put the effort in, cheapers, creepers, it's going a mile. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it shows that guys on the PGA Tour don't play at 100% club head speed. You know, they, 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 there is a level of precision. There's a level of, you know, sustainability over the course of 18 holes, 72 holes, a career, you know, where you're, if you swing as hard as you can all the time, it's probably going to be tough on you. What we don't know with Bryson is what's going to happen in the long run with him physically. You know, how is he going right. to sustain this level of, of effort all the time? I mean, his, his training stuff is really intense. Um, it, most guys are not playing at the top of their register, you know, when it comes to speed. I mean, Finau, amongst players, and I think coaches as well, everybody would say is the longest guy out there. Like, he can, he can hit a gear that nobody else can. He doesn't even try, and he's already among the top five longest, right? Right. I mean, right. Cameron Champ's another guy. When you watch him, you don't get a sense that he's trying to kill it. He just hits it really, really hard. So I, I think there may be times where guys experiment a little bit with finding that other gear on specific situations in a round where the driver, if they kill it, can give them a, a, an opportunity maybe they wouldn't otherwise have if they hit it normally. But I just don't – I think it's a pretty big departure. That's a huge commitment to try and change something like that. But it just shows like – I mean, people don't consider the Bryson the longest guy out there. You know, they really right. don't. I mean, Bryson is unbelievably long. But there are guys that if they wanted to step on it, could hit it by him. And I think Finau's the, Finau's the guy. Like, I mean, he's a freak of nature, you know. I mean, who dislocates their ankle in the middle of a par three tournament and then just pops it back in and almost wins the Masters? I mean, who on earth could do that? Finau. I know. You know, he's just – the guy is – he's just a freak. He's so fun to watch. I mean, I've, I've watched him hit balls many times and filmed him and stuff, and I don't know. It's just – it's kind of hard to take your eye off the guy when he's hitting balls. He's really fun. He is, although – and, and he, by all accounts, seems like a wonderful guy. But, you know, he's another one. Um, some crazy stat, 30 top tens in the last couple of years, but – not really good on the victory tour. Uh, you know, he hasn't really kind of closed the deal. Um, I don't, you know, I mean, we we're talking about DJ, you know, who has that in the majors, but um, I think, you know, it's been disappointing. I think that Tony hasn't, you know, actually won more. I mean, he's been in contention. I mean, 30 top 10 speaks for itself. I mean, in a short period of time, that's crazy. Um, you know, that you're in the mix that much and yet he hasn't really, put the uh, ball over the goal line as much. I mean, do you see, does anything stick out about him with you in that regard? Or maybe it just speaks to how damn hard it is out there. Yeah, it probably is that. It probably is how difficult it is. I mean, I think he, uh, he still seems young to me, you know, um, I think he probably is going to do better in the, in the area of your career that that always seemed to be, the norm, right? Guys would hit their peak in their thirties, you know, in terms of playing their best golf. It's the combination of the experience, the maturity, and still having all the physical tools available to them. Why guys play their best golf historically as they get older, this generation may be breaking all those rules. Um, but you know, maybe Finau's that guy. I mean, some guys, you know, they learn how to win as time moves on. You know, I, I, I think Finau, he's a little different than DJ that way. Cause DJ wins. He just doesn't win right. the biggest events. You know, Fino hasn't won as much 
by anyone's standards, I think they thought they would have, that he would have at this particular point in his career. So I, I just, he's a great player. I think he's going to win a lot of golf tournaments, but it's tough out there, man. Like there was a time where, I mean, name the guy that won last week. God, my, so we had, um, uh, it was, yeah, that's right. Jim Herman. <laughs> right. How Jim many Herman. times he won on the, exactly. Right. So how many yeah. times he won on the PGA tour? He's won a couple of times. It's his third win. Right. right. So now if you, if you look at a, the, the starting times on a Thursday morning, right. And you look right. down the list and you, Oh, he now, you know, Cameron champs there and, you know, Victor Hovland and Matthew Wolf and, oh, look at these old – Stuart Six really, you know, Kim, uh, Matt Kuchar, that guy's amazing. You would never pick Jim Herman and say, oh, this guy's my guy this week. He's my guy. hundred But he's won right. three times. So, like, if right. you – I think if you went back in 1975 and you picked a PGA Tour event, you wouldn't be able to pick out a guy who you would give no chance in your mind of winning a term that had won three times, right? The depth is staggering out there. Yeah. It's yeah. staggering on the corn ferry. It's staggering in college golf. I mean, there, there's a there's a woman Popov who was leading the the AIG Women's Open, British Open, who had just won twice on the Symmetra Tour. You know, I mean, it's deep every tour all over the world. You're going to find great players. So it's just really difficult now to win on the highest level. There's so many great players that. It's not a matter of like there's 20 names here and one of these 20 is going to win this golf tournament. I just don't see that. I mean, I, I think it's just a lot of weeks, man. Like you have to play great golf to win. You can't just have a really good week. You've got to you've got to play great, or you're not going to win that tournament. Yeah, the depth is the depth is incredible. I totally agree. So, you know, talking about um, learning how to win and 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 funk in swings. Let's go kind of the opposite with someone who really learned how to win early, came out just tremendously, had some funk in their swing, and now seems lost, um, which is a guy I know you and I both like, which is Jordan Spieth. Um, and, um, you know, I feel so bad for what he's struggling, and, and it's got to be grating to him, and I'm sure, you know, his teacher McCormick, as you know, because I mean, the, the amount of commentary that's out there with people like, you know, Brandel Chambly and others, you know, I could fix them in five minutes, you know, kind of uh, BS stuff. Um, and you see, and I know you and I both saw that same video that got posted a few days ago of him on the driving range. And it must have taken 20 seconds for him to pull the club back. And you just see the mental gears turning and, um, what do you what do you sort of make of what what um, poor Jordan is going through? Man, I feel for him. You know, I mean, we've seen this in the past with great players that just start to question their mechanics or try to find something extra. I mean, I heard the story that Duvall talked about about how he told him, "Don't try to add distance; it'll ruin your career." Right, right. You know, and I think he did try to add distance. Um, I I really think him and McCormick are they're doing everything they can and every anything anyone can to try and get it to a place where it's comfortable again, where he doesn't have to think so much. I think that, you know, for him to go to somebody else right now, while they still feel like they have options with, with him and Cameron, where they haven't tried everything or they're working through some stuff would be foolish. It'd be really, really dangerous for his career. That's how careers end. 
You know, I right. think he's in the best hands he can be in right now. I, I think for the Monday morning teachers out there that are saying they could fix them, if you teach golf for a living, okay, and especially if you teach really good players, and for you to say something like that is is just about as crappy a statement as you can make towards another yep. instructor. To yep. say it and not teach for a living is like me saying I could fix the the space shuttle, you know, because I watched a, a few movies on on space travel. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. If you have not, I don't care if you played. I don't care what level you played on. Teach. I would never assume to tell a great player how they should be playing. You know, I would give them suggestions. I talk about what they're doing and all that. But I would never, I would never dictate to them how they should play golf. I would help them with their golf swing, right, and technical right. things that I know a lot about. But right. for somebody that played for a living and and to to try and criticize Cameron McCormick or any other teacher, they're just you know they're out seeking limelight. I don't dig it, you know, and I don't think any teacher does. You know, there there's there's nothing wrong with some healthy criticism, but you can fix it in five minutes. Child, please give me a break. That's that's just crazy talk, crazy talk. It is, and 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 I know uh, I totally agree with you, and and um, I know Claude Harmon, among others, you know, uh, have uh, uh, in other similar situations kind of uh, responded to those kind of Brandel Chambly type statements. I mean, they're very, I'm sure they've got to be very frustrating because he's got a microphone, um, and you know, in this kind of clickbait culture we have, you know, you've got to say things to sort of grab eyeballs, and um, it's unfortunate. I think it's really really unfair. Um, I, I totally agree, particularly because as far as I know, I mean, I don't think Brandel's out there walking the driving range, not that that would justify no. it, but it I mean, he's just sitting in a studio looking at pictures, right? So No, and I would say this, look, I think, I like Brandel. You know, I've had dinner with Brandel. I, I think he's a good guy. I really do genuinely like the guy. I, I A lot of the things he has to say, I think are insightful. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure he, he obviously knows about golf, right? You, if you take all the swings of all the tour players you've ever seen, the great greats of the game, and you and you look at some still photos and two you know two D pictures, and you draw some conclusions about the things that everybody must do, it's just it's like it's like trying to figure out you know what's wrong with a knee by looking at somebody's skin, you know, like there's a lot going on, you know, you got some ligaments, you got some cartilage, you know, there's junk in there. You kind of yeah. need an MRI, you know what I mean? And so a teacher's good at giving an MRI. You know, that's what we do. And it doesn't mean that, you know, there's not value in what he has to say. Like I said, I like Brandel. I just feel like it's a cheap shot. It, it's provocative on for, for the sake of being provocative. And, you know, I, I think Jordan deserves better. I think Cameron McCormick deserves better. They're working their butt off and they're doing the best yeah. they can. And clearly they don't have it yet. They clearly are not on it. We've seen some glimmers, you know, but yeah. any, any great player shouldn't have to go to the range and grind. If, if they're playing really well, they go to the range to warm up. And then right. when they're done, they go over and work on one little thing that might've needed to fix, you know, but right. the range is where great players go to die. That's where their games die is on that driving range, trying 700 things. And, and I believe this with all my heart, man, you can practice yourself out of a really good place 
for sure. You really can. So if you're in a really good place, man, ride the wave to shore. Let the white water push you onto the sand. Get every last little inch you can out of it. And then when it crashes, okay, then you go back and dig it out again on the range and, and figure out what your mechanics are. Like, like a guy like Mark Howard knows this stuff, you know, and he knows what he needs to do. But constant tinkering, too much analysis, it kills careers. It really does. And that's speaking from a teacher who does analysis. So, No, that's, and that's really great advice. Um, let me just sort of um, touch on, and we can kind of wrap up with this. I didn't want to sort of leave without going to um, touch on one of our favorite places in golf, um, and we can do this quickly, is Bandon Dunes and that amateur tournament. Because um, I know you had some interesting thoughts on that. Um, you know, the strafacci Ali Osborne match coming down the pike, I mean, and that's such a great match play course. I think we would both agree it's a great course generally, but really good for match play. And um, what a shot Strafacci hits with that four iron on the 18th hole after the prior two holes. He's two up after 15, um, or I guess 33 holes, right? Because 36 hole final. And, you know, you think he's in the driver's seat and he just, I mean, you know, looks like a 12 handicap the way he plays 16 and 17. Um, ball in his pocket on both holes and, and yet, you know, gathers himself um, to hit that shot on an 18. Just any kind of quick thoughts before we go on sort of what you think about Bandon as a site for that and kind of what you thought about the AM. You know, golf's so harsh that match play is really fun because if you just lose the match, it doesn't feel as bad as if you shot 80, you know. And Bandon right. is it, on the sign it says golf as it should be and I think golf should be match play and to have it at that venue I think was perfect I you know we both love the place and I mean I I thought that the shot he hit was absolutely extraordinary considering how he played the two previous holes I mean, when he was on the tee on 18 I had no idea that he was going to be able to hit two of the best shots of his life he may not have had an idea that he was going to do that but, you know, he had, he had gone to that 18th hole in three previous matches and won one up. So he, he kind of had been on that situation before. And, and you could see he, he was comfortable there. You know, he found some comfort on that hole. And he hit a phenomenal foreign, you know, one of the best shots we've seen in a very long time. And I thought what was interesting was I thought Ollie, who I really think has a much better golf swing and mm -hmm. is, a, is a phenomenal ball striker, he he had an unfortunate thing happen in a way when he won 16, 17, didn't hit a putt. He had not right. hit a putt right. for 30 minutes when he got to right. 18 and he had to make a putt, you know? And it, it seems like a silly thing, but that's the great thing about match play, right? You get all these weird stories going on. And, and then, you know, he had to make a putt. He really had to hit one for quite some time. The fog was in, the fog was out. I don't know, man. Bandon's a special place. That was a great, great event. The USG did a really good job of adjusting the course during the competition. It's everything that we want. I know you love Bandon. I, 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 what are your thoughts on that forearm? I mean, when, you're, when he's standing over, what do you think is going to happen? I, I, I will tell you, I wasn't expecting that shot. I mean, I, I, I had a lot of thoughts. First of all, the first thought I had is the announcers had spent the whole time saying that, you know, Ollie hits the ball, at least off the tee, you know, when he wants a good 30, 40 yards past him. And I, I agree with you in terms of the swing from, I mean, I obviously don't have your eyes, but just from my um, novice eyes, I mean, Osborne's swing just looks beautiful. It has that power with the smoothness to it. And um, so the first thought I said, is they said, 
he's hit. I'm thinking he's hitting a four iron, and it's 200, almost 235, 240 yards to carry it over that front bunker. I mean, I I didn't think he had enough club, and you know, uh, I I just was amazed that you know he gathered himself, and he did have a great tee shot, as you say, to be able to hit that shot. Um, because gosh, those prior two holes, he looked horrendous. Um, but, um, I, I thought that was just incredibly impressive. Um, and, um, I did think Osborne was going to get up and down. That wasn't a really hard pitch shot. Obviously it's a very high pressure situation, but mm-hmm. he had not such a great pitch. And, um, you know, the putt, as you said, he was a little cold you know, having stroked it for a half hour and he missed that. It just was a fascinating thing, match play. I mean, the guy, Strafacci misses couldn't have been more than two feet on the 10th hole. Um, you know, he was five down. He comes all the way back. He gets up on 14. And I, I had sort of walked away from, from the TV for a sec. I didn't realize I had the teeth that far up. It's like, what, that was his first shot? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and then, you know, and Ollie hits that, you know, knocks in that 35-footer for the birdie. And, and, you know, make him make the eagle, and he does. And, and then 15, you know, with that, you know, Ollie basically putting the ball in his pocket, running it up that slope and not doing anything. It was just fantastic. I thought it was really – I thought it was a lot of high-quality um, shots down the stretch by, you know, other than Strafacci on 16 and 17. But generally, I thought the golf was pretty good. Um, great setting. Um, I love Bandon like you do. I thought it was really – I really enjoyed it. The other thing, you know, they made a commercial free. Um, so it was just straight golf, which is always great. That's one of the things I hate about golf generally on TV is, you know, you know, outside mm-hmm. of the Masters, so many damn commercial breaks. So I thought it was really, really terrific. Um, I don't know if they're ever going to play a professional tournament at Bandon, um, but as a match play venue, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I think for amateur golf, it's wonderful. You know, I think match play is perfect for that setting. Um, I, I think that like you can see the confidence that comes with winning matches. You know, we talked about Danielle, you know, he, uh, Strafacci won the North South. He had just come off of a lot of match play victories. There's a thing that happens to you where you just feel like you're going to win the match, you know? And if you, if you get going hot, like Danielle won the USAM and then she won the North and South and then she won the USAM again, that's a lot of matches in a row that you're winning. I mean, it's not yeah. on Tiger's level of six USGA events, which is, I don't even understand that in any way. But, like, at some point, you start to believe yourself, right? Other people start to think that they're not going to beat you. And even when you're five down, like, how do you come back from five down? I mean, I the know. mental fortitude it takes and the, the belief in yourself. Most people at that point are like, okay, this is, I hope I don't lose 10 and 8, you know, or something horrible right. today. He didn't go there. You know, he did not go there. He did not go to the dark place. He stayed positive and just plugged away one hole at a time. Man, you don't, you can't really explain that unless you watch it. And to be able to see that kind of come to life in a, in a, in a major championship, the biggest amateur tournament in the world, the hardest tournament maybe to win in the world was so cool. And I hope that the U.S. amateur continues to be elevated because I think it deserves it. And that venue was perfect. I, I wouldn't be upset if they had it there every few years, personally. Well, and in fact, you know, that's what a lot of, um, you know, the announcers and, and folks that I've, commentators I've seen saying is that, you know, the U.S. Amherst actually, if you look at the courses they're going to, it's a darn strong list. I mean, you know, we're talking Oakmont, Marion, 
you know, it's a U.S. Open type list. Um, uh, but um, yeah, good. I really hope that this gets in the rota, so to speak. Um, Me too. And it deserves too. to be. No it's, doubt. It's I, agree. I couldn't agree more. One quick thing, and I'll let you go. I got to get, because more late breaking news, and I, I always like to ask you anything <laughs> having to do with Phil Mickelson. Um, what do you, did you see what he's doing? So he misses the cut. Um, and of course, and he's out of the top 70. So he's not only, you know, gone for this week, but gone for the next two weeks. And then of course, you know, we're going back to Wingfoot, um, the site of, um, you know, six runner-ups and probably the most, uh, biggest meltdown of the six runner-ups. Um, still can't believe that to this day. It's 14 years. It's like, it's yesterday. I can wow, see that whole 18th wow. hole. It's 2006, but um, uh, you know, I was going to. Montgomery's lucky that Mickelson did that because no one, it, you know, choked away an 18th hole in a major as much as Montgomery at seven iron. I could just see the sod. Anyways, I know you remember all that, but so Phil misses the cut. Scott Wingfoot coming up, and he's going to go. Said, "Hey, you know, I, I guess I need the reps." I'm going to go on the Champions Tour next week. What do you think of that? I mean, it makes sense because you want to be tournament golfers. It's just Phil being Phil. Yes and yes. You know, Phil being <laughs> Phil and needs to play an event. I wonder if that tournament doesn't get more coverage than the middle of the useless FedEx Cup playoffs, which nobody cares about. I mean, the right. players care about it because there's a lot of money involved. But, who you know, who cares, honestly? They're just, they're, this is all about the cash. They're in the cash season, you know? Right. So, yeah, I, I, I'm curious how Phil's going to do. You'd think he'd go lap the field. But Phil misses a lot of cuts on the PGA Tour when he doesn't win. He really does. So it could be really interesting to see how he does out there. I wonder how many of those guys are like, crap. You know, we don't need this guy out here right now. But, hey, look, he needs, he needs reps. He's trying to get ready for wing foot. He doesn't have that many more opportunities, right, to get this done. So, I he's think got to do everything he can to get ready. Yeah, it may I, I be. Think he's out of PGA Tour. Yeah, he, It'll be he, could, he could very well. He could very well have a tough time, you know, ever having another shot at it. But that man, that that open, I'll never forget that. Those two guys at the end just giving it away. You know, I mean, what the heck was Mickelson doing? I still don't know if he knows what he was doing. You know, I mean, there was a I, moment of honesty after the round, though, when he was just like, "What was I doing?" Well, and, you know, we talk about caddies and Bones Makai, a great caddy, and, and you yes. know, I remember we've talked about when DJ three-putted that last hole at Chambers Bay, you know, you would you would say, gee, if I was his, we don't know what his, his brother said to him, but if I was his caddy, the last thing I would have said when you got over that first putt is, you know, just diet at the hole, you know, just diet at the hole, because those greens were like with no grass on them. Why yes. is Bones letting him take a driver out on that on that 18th hole? It's just you know, um, I know it's the player ultimately obviously makes the call, but gosh, I was just you know the combination of hitting the driver and then you know trying that shot. I mean, just punch it out, and you're the best wedge player in the world. Punch it out, and you know, worst you're going to make is five, and you're in a playoff. And oh my God, I just it, it was like a car <laughs> crash in slow motion. But it's all part of Phil's legacy in a way, you know, that he did that to himself. Totally. It's, it, it's kind of, I wouldn't call it fun because you never want to watch somebody do that to themselves. But by the same token, it, it sort of encapsulates who he is. Like he never, dude never backs down. You know, he's going to do, he's going to do the tough thing. He misses a boatload of cuts for it. 
he's probably given away a lot of majors and, and, you know, like he's like Palmer that way, you know, he would have played a little smarter, would have won a lot more, but that's Phil being Phil. We're going to see him on the champions tour. Should be entertaining. Should it certainly should Brady. Great talking to you as always. Um, This is terrific. Um, I appreciate always making the time and, um, I'm looking out there. I'm jealous. I'm not out there now. I will reach out to you and we'll get together soon so we can um, apply your great skill to my swing, which definitely needs it. Anytime, man. You know where to find me. Okay. Take care, buddy. I'll talk to you soon.